Numbers 13, if you're turning with me. We're going to start Numbers 13, 23. So today I want to talk to you about what you feed. What is it that you feed? Think about a stray dog that shows up at your house. If you look out on your front porch and there's a stray dog sitting there and he's pretty skinny, you realize that if you feed him, he ain't going nowhere. He will take up residence at your house. If you feed him, he's going to get stronger. He's going to begin to mark his territory. He's going to get real comfortable around there. So if you don't want him to stay, don't feed him. starts making it his home. He starts feeling comfortable. He'll even get protective over it, over your house and over you. Did you know your thoughts are the same? You got all kind of thoughts flying in your head all the time, and stuff walks by and make you think about something or all kind of stuff, but you choose which thoughts you'll feed. And the ones that you choose to feed... They're the ones that are going to grow stronger, and they're the ones that are going to stay with you, and they're the ones that are going to start marking territory in your brain. You choose what you feed, what thoughts you will feed. I heard uh, the school teacher talking about how she had two brothers, and they were only about a year apart, really close, and so they, the way it fell, they were in her class in the same grade. right? And, and one of the brothers, we'll call him Johnny, he was the older one and, and just was real book smart, and it, school schoolwork came to him pretty easy. The other one had to really work to get decent grades, and he just liked other things better than, than doing his homework. He'd rather play sports and stuff like that, so that type of brother. So we'll call the older one Johnny and the, the younger one that, that struggled with the schoolwork, Billy. And uh, they were told to write a paper about an animal. She said, I don't care what, but you pick an animal, and you have to write me a paper on it. And so they turned them in, and she was grading the papers, and she's going through, and she's reading all the papers. And she comes to Johnny, the older brother. She comes to his paper, and it's titled, My Dog. And she reads it, and it's an excellent paper about his dog at home. It tells this whole big thing about him, long story stuff. Great. She marks it an A. Gave him an A on there, and she goes on. She's looking at the other ones. She comes to Billy's paper, and it's named My Dog. She's like, is that the same thing as his brother's? She starts reading it. She said, man, this sounds familiar. So she flips back through the papers and pulls out Big Brother's paper word for word. Exact same thing. So she calls Billy up there, and she said, did you copy your brother's paper? It's the exact same thing, word for word. He said, no, ma'am, it's the same dog. <laughs> Lots of us deal with the same dog. But it's because we've been feeding them for a long time. We feed that thing in our brain, and it gets bigger, and it gets stronger, and then we don't know what to do with it. You know you can feed your faith, or you can feed fear. You, you and and when you're feeding faith, you're starving fear. But if you're feeding fear, then you're usually starving faith. One or the other. 
you know, I, we've heard it, we've talked about it before, and I've heard it told in all different ways to where it was dogs and a white dog and a black dog. And, but originally, the story was told, the tale of the two wolves, where the Cherokee Indian, the wise old chief, was talking to his grandson about the two wolves that live within you, a good wolf and a bad wolf. And the grandson said, well, which one will rule? Grandpa, which one's going to rule my life, the good wolf or the bad wolf? And the wise old Indian said, the one you feed. That's the one that'll rule. The one you starve will lose. If I got two dogs sitting there, and they're both equal in age and strength and size, and I feed one of them and don't feed one of them for a week and then let them fight, the one I've been starving is probably going to lose the fight. That's why I got this fight against Reese Saturday, and uh, we're going on a cruise leaving tomorrow, so I got to feed myself well um, so that we can. <laughs> I got to be careful about that. I'll feed myself what I need and make sure I get plenty of protein in. The one that you feed is the one that's going to win. You've got faith in your brain, and you've also got some fear in there. And which one you choose to feed is probably the one that's going to rule. So in Numbers 13, it's a story that we're familiar of, and that's where we're going to jump in and start reading. But it's the story of the 12 spies. So the children of Israel have been wandering around the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, been rescued from slavery, and they've been doing a figure eight in the wilderness for almost 40 years. And they want to enter into the land and do what God said they're going to do and, and to live in this land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so they pick out 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they're going to go in and spy out the land and look. And they're going to, they go in there for 40 days and they look around. But 10 of the spies are fear, motivated by fear, led by fear. They represent fear. They've been feeding their fear, and only two of them were faith. Two of them had been feeding their faith. And before we start reading, I want to point out that all 12 of them had the same experience. All 12 of them saw the same things with their eyes. All 12 of them saw the same enemies. They saw the same land. They saw the same fruit. They were there for the same amount of time. Circumstances were all the same. Ten of them were afraid. Two of them had faith. It's not about what you go through. It's not about what's around you. It's about what you feed. So let's start reading Numbers 13. And they came into the brook of Eskel, and they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. So the grapes were so big that they cut one cluster and they had to put it on a stick and carry it between two men. Either these were some really weak men or some really big grapes. Verse 24. The place was called the brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and they came to Moses and unto Aaron. 
and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So here's the proof. They come back to approximately 2 million people, these 12 guys, and everybody's waiting to hear. How was it? Was it what God said? Is it awesome? Is it flowing with milk and honey? Like, are there cows and bees? What's all there? How is it? Is it? Imagine that. Imagine the scene. And they're like, yeah, here's the proof. Here's the giant grapes. Verse 27. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Yay! Everybody's cheer. Yes, it was true. Yay! Very next verse. Nevertheless, hold up. Before y'all start cheering too hard. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled. Well, as far as we know, only one of the cities was walled. That would be Jericho. and no, They weren't all walled. But you see, when you're led by fear and you feed your fear, you tend to exaggerate things. And things look worse than they really are. So they're all strong and the cities are walled and, and they're very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Termites and the Amorites. And they all dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's rolling. You can tell how this is going. And Caleb, one of the faith spies, one of the faith boys, he could see what was going on. He stilled the people. Hey, hold on. Shh. He stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once. No, stop, stop, stop. Go now. Strike while the iron's hot. A person of faith believes we can have God's best right now. Doesn't matter the giant. Doesn't matter the obstacle. Doesn't matter the circumstance. Doesn't matter if I have the money or don't have the money. I, I believe I can walk in God's best right now. Because I'm his son. And I believe he's that big. That's what a faith person believes. Fear person? No, no, we can't. There's giants. We can't. I can't figure that out. I can't, that, the circumstances are stacked against us. I can't because of my past. Because There's excuses. There's always an excuse when you're led by fear. There's always an excuse not to be what God's called you to be. Not to walk in what God's called you to walk in. Not to have what God's called you to have. There's always an excuse when you're led by fear. And when you're led by faith, now, take it now. Take new land. Choose the future. Choose the hope of the future. Keep moving forward. I'm not going to keep doing figure eights in the desert. Keep moving forward. Fear, fear says, no, 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 we can't do it. We can't take it. Caleb said, let's go up at once and possess it. 
for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him, here goes the other ten again, said, We be not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report. You know you person, good or bad, in almost everything? Every person, every organization, every church, you... What you're searching for, you can probably find. Good or bad. Right or wrong. It don't matter if you're talking about a church or your job or Walmart or Donald Trump. You can probably find good and you can probably find bad. What do you want to search for? Oh, and that reminds me of the survival tip of the day. If you find yourself lost in the woods, just start speaking loudly about politics and somebody will show up to argue with you about it and then you can ask them for help out of the woods. <laughs> they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had. I thought that was funny when I read that, that they brought up an evil report of the land that God had promised them. And it was what God said. And God said, this is your inheritance. But they decided, nope, they brought up an evil report. As if their opinion mattered more than God's, or they were smarter than him. Unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Oh, that's new. I've never seen land that just eats people. One translation says, it swalloweth up the inhabitants. Or you're just walking along and, oh, where'd Joe go? Gone. You see how fear causes you to exaggerate and to make up things and to be afraid of things that aren't even real. What land swallows people up? And then look what they say after that. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They're all huge. Well, a minute ago you said there were some of them were the sons of Anak, the giants. Some of them were at first. But now that you're trying to prove your point, all of them are huge. They were all of great stature and they're all giants. Oh, well, seems to be growing. Why? Because you're feeding your fear. You shut Caleb up right when he tried to inject a little bit of faith. Y'all shut him up and here you go again. Verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Right here. In our own sight, in our own brain. That's ridiculous. Grasshoppers? That's an exaggeration. I don't care how big those giants were. I'm just like, look at that. Come over here. Look at this. There's the children of Israel. Look at him. Whoa, look at that. Like they were. That's an exaggeration, okay? They weren't as small as grasshoppers. But in here, they saw themselves as grasshoppers, as weak, as, and 
So the other people saw them as that too. Because they had no confidence. They were scared. They were acting out of their fear. It was in their mind. We can't have it. It's too hard. And, and what we want to do is we say, because I can't have it, then you can't have it either. We want to project that onto other people like they were doing to those two million people. Hey, you know what? I was scared, and I see myself as a grasshopper, so all of us are grasshoppers. None of us can have it. We do that in our own lives. I can't have victory in that area, so nobody does. I struggle with it, so you do too. I can't have a great marriage, so you can't either. We Fear people want to project their own fear onto other people rather than have the courage to feed their faith and step out. These 10 people convinced 2 million people that they couldn't do it. They couldn't have what God said. The next few verses, we won't read them, but if you start reading chapter 14, they cried all night. Two million people crying and wailing all night. Oh, that's depressing. Because they couldn't have what God said they could have. These are the same people. They've been walking around in the big figure eight for 40 years. When you want to try something else, even if you got killed, you're walking through the desert in circles. Imagine them growing their kids up. You're growing up like, son, don't grow up and be like me. I've been walking around in the sand in figure eight for 40 years. Do something new. How are you going to do something new? Stop being led by fear like me and this whole generation and step into the future that God said we could have. That's faith. And we know that that whole generation had to die off except for Joshua and Caleb because they were the only ones that were willing to live by faith and step into the future. Fear says, no, you can't have it. I'm going to keep you right here. And fear keeps you paralyzed. And in the same place where you are, you can't move forward. So here's some characteristics of fear feeders. It's like deer feeders, but fear feeders. Okay? First one is, we won't read, go, you can go and read chapter 14, but the people are like crying and complaining about how they would have been better off if they would have been left as slaves, belly aching, take the land, and why did they even come out of Egypt, and all this belly aching. But fear feeders, they forget God. They forgot all the awesome things that God did, all the miracles and how God had brought them out of slavery and God had parted the Red Sea and God did these awesome, amazing things and they forgot about all that. Back in Egypt, things were good. You were getting beat, whipped, some of you to death and starved. Your children were being killed by, like, you, you were slaves. Fear feeders forget God and what He did in the past. They discredit good. They discredit God. Oh, nothing. That, don't, that ain't God. God's got nothing to do with that. There ain't nothing good happened in all that. It was all just bad. It was all just 
dung. Fear feeders forget God. But a person of faith continually remembers God. That's what communion is. Jesus said, remember me. Remember how much dad loved you. Every time you take communion. Remember God. Remember the past. Remember what he's brought us through. Remember how awesome he was. Remember the love. Remember our kids. Remember what he's given us, the blessings. That's what faith feeders do. Fear feeders, they get stuck. They get paralyzed. They're in the same place and they can't move on. And 10 years from now, they're in the same place they were then. They, they don't grow. They don't move on spiritually. Faith feeders, they grow. They change. They take the future. They, they see something. They hope for it. They get it. Then they get a new hope. They keep growing. They keep moving forward. They refuse to be stuck. Fear feeders, they're alone. They feel like they're alone. They got nobody. They're all on their own. They're an island. Faith feeders are connected to God and people. They got connections, and it makes them powerful. See, that's what gives them the ability to create the future. Being connected, collective impact of being something bigger than yourself. The greatest battles you will ever face are in your mind. They're right here. If you learn how to win the battles in your mind, you'll win the wars out here. We all want to win wars, and we want to be warriors and heroes on behalf of humanity. And but, but until we learn to win up here, any victory we see out here is temporary. It's not that important if we're losing in our mind. Only you and God can see you from the inside. And only you and God know what you feed. Now, after a while, your fruit becomes evident. <laughs> we'll see it after a while, in 40 years, when you've been walking around in a circle. You can look back and say, my gosh, man, that joker was there back in 2020. Yes, 2020 is the future. Amen. It'll be the past before long. Have you ever felt trapped? You ever felt like that? Like you're going in circles? Like you're just, you're trapped? Like the children of Israel? We talked about a couple weeks ago, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's who we are. Faith returns us to life. Faith gives us the ability to create the future. Look at Romans 12.1. Look what Paul said. Now, this is a familiar couple of verses, but we're going to see something new. Romans 12.1, Paul says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed or don't fit in. Be not conformed 
to this world, some translations say, to the patterns of the world, the patterns that the world has. But be transformed. We all want to see a transformation. Every one of us probably has an area in our life that we would like to see transformed. A relationship, uh, our, in our, a transformation we'd like to see in our physical bodies, a transformation that we'd like to see in our spouses, a transformation we'd like to see in our children. We, like, we all have an area, stuff that we'd like to see transformed. God, change my circumstances. God, change this, change that. And God wants to change you. God's main goal is to change you. God's presence is not to change your circumstances. It's to change your perspective so that you see things different. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. And you'll change the way you look at it. So be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be made new. The way you think about things, the old way of thinking has got to go. Your mind has to be renewed or reset, like you would reset a trap. The renewing of your mind, the perfect will of God, that you would prove or know what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I want to know. You ever been in that place like, God, just show me what to do. God, I just want to know what to do. God, I, just make me a puppet so I get it right. Show me. Paul's telling us there that you will know. When you learn to renew and reset your mind, you will know what's God's good and perfect and acceptable will. By the renewing or the resetting of your mind. Today. This morning, you can be reset. God wants you unstuck. He wants you moving freely, transformed from death to life. It's easy to fall back into your old way of thinking. But God wants you to be free. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if you be in Christ, see, we talk about Christ in you is the hope of glory and having Christ in you. That's a wonderful thing. But Paul is talking about being in Christ. He is a new creature. So we want to be new. We want the renewing of our mind. How? To be a new creature. Paul said you got to be in Christ. Think of it like being in a swimming pool. You're surrounded by water. It changes the way you look, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you sing, the way you fight. When you're underwater in the swimming pool... Changes everything. To be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things 
or become new. We want to be new. We want to change. Like, we don't want to just stay the same for our whole life. Who wants to stay the same? Not me. I want to keep growing and changing and learning and creating. And and I want next year to be better than this year and the year after that to be better than that. And Not that bad things aren't going to happen. Stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff happens, but I want to see a change. I want to see growth. I want to keep moving forward. That's what faith says. Sometimes we feel trapped. So what we do, we make the mistake of changing our environment and hoping it will change us. But it doesn't. You can move from place to place and see no change. You can move from job to job, man to man, relationship to relationship. I met a lady yesterday at the, um, I had to get an EKG because I'm such an old guy that they won't let me fight without an EKG, apparently. 36 and up have to have one of those. So I met a lady yesterday getting an EKG, and she knew my dad. Crazy, from years and years ago, she used to go to church and with his friends when I was a little kid. And she told me, um, yeah, I quit coming to your dad's church because we went in there for some uh, premarital counseling. And I was going to marry this guy that was actually my first husband. Um, and your dad told me that he was no good and that he wasn't willing to perform the ceremony. And I was like, oh, really? And she said, well, we got mad and quit. And I went and got married to him somewhere else. But I guess your dad was right. Dang. <laughs> Why'd I tell that? Oh, you can move from man to man or relationship to relationship, or I knew something made that pop in my head. <laughs> uh, you can keep changing your environment. You can even change your religion. Well, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else, but it's not changing you. You will never see a transformation by changing outside stuff. You won't see the transformation. You can move from one philosophy to another because you think that by changing something out here, it will finally change you in here. But all you're doing is conforming to different patterns. And Paul said, don't conform to the patterns of this world. You're just conforming to all different patterns. You're just trying different. Well, let me try that pattern. Let me fit into that pattern. Let me fit into that pattern. And there's no transformation in conforming to patterns. That's not how you see a transformation. Let me try that pattern. You know, the world has patterns. The world's got patterns, them patterns that Paul was talking about. And if you do nothing, you naturally conform to the world's patterns. It's not that you have to try to go out and seek and learn how to conform to the world's patterns. 
You just do. We spend so much time and money on our bodies, transforming and the clothes that we buy or creams that we use or makeup that we use or workouts that we do or all these things to try to make ourselves look a certain way out here, outside, on our bodies. We spend, I mean, diets and hair and makeup and clothes and all this different stuff. And we get stuck in our minds. And we don't ever figure out how to transform or renew our mind. Maybe if we spent as much time and energy and money and focus on renewing our minds as we do on this outward appearance, we'd probably be in a lot better place. Probably be a whole lot better off. In fact, I'd rather have my mind new and fresh and full of faith and strong than my body looking good and get like the mind so much more important why is that because it's easier to look like you change than to actually change it's easy to put on a mask it's real easy to i mean you can make it look like you lose weight and you don't have to really lose weight it's easy you'll wear a lot of horizontal stripes for a while and grow your beard out and then after a couple months, you shave your beard and you wear black clothes that are a good fit, not too tight, but pretty tight. People, hey, you losing weight? Yeah. No. No, you're not. Why? Well, that's a whole lot easier than actually losing the weight, actually pushing the ice cream bowl back. I mean, we want to look like we change. We want to throw on a mask. But do we want to really transform our mind? Do we really want change? Or are we too scared to step into what God has for us? Are we too scared to see a future and then create it with the Holy Spirit, with His breath? It's easier to look like you change than to actually change. So what are natural human patterns, or as I like to call them, death patterns? Sin was death. Right, And Jesus came and died to bring us life. But the natural death patterns, the world's patterns, the non-transformed patterns, what are they? Because I hear people say, you know, I hear people say, I'm going to be free. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to live my truth. Don't talk to me about God or Jesus or church. I'm going to be my unique self. Isn't it amazing that when people become their unique self, they look like everyone else? They conform to the patterns of everybody else. The most unique people I've ever seen are led by faith and walking in what God's called them to walk in. They're the ones that are different. They're the ones that are creating and not stuck on a hamster wheel, they're the ones that are unique. I won't conform to religion and be a God follower. I'm going to be free. But they're the ones that fall into the pattern of death. The world's patterns of slavery. 
So here's a test. We're going to test out some patterns real quick. Okay, first one. Raise your hand if you've ever lied. Whoa. Everybody look around. Take a look around the room. Okay. All right. A lot of liars in here. Okay. Now, anybody that didn't raise your hand, hmm, first time, huh? <laughs> uh, okay. So, we all lied, right? Everybody's lied. Pretty sure every human has told a lie. What does that mean? That's a pattern. That's the world's pattern. So you want to be unique? Live a life of truth. Don't tell a lie. That's breaking free of the pattern. Okay, next test. Raise your hand if you've ever stolen anything. Taken anything that wasn't yours. Okay. Not as many hands, okay, and whoever didn't raise their hand, go back to question number one. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so you've never stolen anything, huh? Like a pin from the bank teller or uh, maybe somebody's girlfriend, a uh, piece of gum. Uh, let's ask your mama if you ever stole that cookie. Maybe. How, okay, how about this? Have you ever been late to a practice or a meeting because you stole that person's time? Now, we could ask for another show of hands, and we're probably all going to, I'd say we all got to raise our hands, right? Oh, so stealing is a pattern. A human pattern. The pattern of the world is stealing. You want to be unique? You want to be different? Want to break that pattern and see a transformation? Don't steal. <laughs> we could go on. This is kind of fun, but we probably shouldn't. Lying is normal. Stealing, that's normal. It's a pattern. Hate, that's normal. It's easy. You get hurt, you hate somebody. You get mad, you... So you want to be unique? Love. Being slurs are selfish. That's in our nature. We're born selfish. Babies are selfish. Toddlers are selfish little thieves. That's mine. 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 That's my toy. Right? <laughs> We're born selfish. <laughs> it's a pattern. You want to break the norm? Be generous. Give everything you have. That's breaking the norm. The Ten Commandments, it's really just a list of death patterns. That's the patterns. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because stealing is a pattern of death. Jesus came to bring us life. It's not about law and us keeping the law and the works. But don't conform to the patterns. Be free in what God's called you to walk in. When you live outside of God and faith, you conform to the patterns of humanity at their worst state of being or death. It takes power to not be conformed. I am a non-conformist. 
I won't conform to the patterns of the world. I won't settle for death when I can have life. I won't settle for fear when faith is mine. You must take control of your mind to see a transformation. And then you will know what he wants you to do in the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. When you change the pattern, when you reset your mind, renew your mind. There are things. Um, so I was telling Jesse about the study that I read and they do tests on people and they're. I don't know the technical wording for it, but there are people that are considered super tasters. Their tongue can taste things that a lot of us can't taste. And they become like famous chefs and stuff like that, like different. Ta they can taste things, taste certain spices. They can eat a bite of food and tell you what's in that food. So this really got me thinking because I'm thinking, well, am I one of those people or am I not? And they say some people are just good with trash. Like they'll eat whatever. Pizza's pizza. They you put enough salt and grease on it, they think it's good. And so it's giving me a little more grace for Jesse because I thought she was picky, but really maybe she could just taste better than me. I don't know. And then the same with hearing. There are people, you heard of somebody that's tone deaf? They can't hear the notes, what the note's supposed to be, and somebody that can sing can. So they can hear things that someone else can't hear. There are people that can see things that other people can't see. They can see further. They have better peripheral, peripheral, I shouldn't use that word, vision. <laughs> they can see better <laughs> than other people. See, I'm okay if I can't see everything that you can see or hear everything that you can hear or taste everything that someone else can taste. But I don't want to miss life. I don't want to have my brain in a place where I'm not willing to renew my mind or change my thinking or have my brain transformed and miss out on life and what God had for me on real life and seeing things through the eyes of the creator through the eyes of God because when our mind is renewed we see each other how he sees us and we see ourselves how he sees us and we see him how he really is and we see creation the way he created it through the eyes of the one that created flowers and colors and smells and and French vanilla. <laughs> and we get to see through his eyes if we will allow our minds to be renewed. There's a word in the Bible, and it's used all throughout the Bible, and it's metanoia is the word, but it's translated all throughout your Bible, repentance. Repentance. The word there is metanoia, and um, it's a Greek translation of two Hebrew words that they both mean repentance. Now, there's a minor word, and it means to be sorrowful, to feel bad for what you did. 
pretty much to have guilt. That's the minor word. The major word that's used there is to turn or return. And that's used, that's translated repent all through the Bible, to return. Why? Because they believe you begin, you began face to face with God. And at some point in life or through some pain or some hurt or something that you've been through, you've turned away from God. So to repent is to return and look back into his eyes. To turn your heart towards home to the real repentance is to turn. We've said to turn or to change directions. That's true. But when we were born and placed, we were facing God. And then through whatever circumstances, we've turned away. So to really repent is to return, to turn back. And then this is pretty cool. The Greek word metanoia, it's made out of two like First one, meta, it's the same word that, that we would say like metaphysics. Right? What does that mean? Beyond physics. And noia is the second word, and that one means to think. So repent means to go beyond your thinking. Beyond thinking. Change your mind. To change your thinking patterns. Guys, that's what worship does. You ever notice how when we come in and we worship, and if you really enter into worship or you get in God's presence and, and you kind of get in a flow and corporate worship where we sing songs about who God really is or we hear songs about who we really are and we start to think about it, it changes the patterns. I mean, your problems don't seem so big after a good worship service, right? Your kids don't seem like idiots. Like the world just seems better after a good worship service. Why? Because you've just spent 45 minutes changing the pattern, the way you think, changing the way you, your thought process works, changing the way you think about God, changing the way you think about yourself, allowing Him to speak into you. It, you change your thought patterns, and then usually it just wears off because you don't keep feeding that. And so a couple hours later after that, when your kids are both fighting each other, and then it all just kind of comes back. But that's the beautiful thing about worship, is it changes those patterns. 2 Corinthians 10, and we'll wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. This is Paul talking again. For though we walk in the flesh, right, we're alive. We're walking around in the flesh. We have to deal with all these things. We still have to deal with death. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, what we know about God, God's knowledge, 
and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's impossible. How do you bring into captivity every thought? Some translations say uh, taking captive every thought. How do you even do that? I've tried right now. I, I can't even do it right now while I'm preaching. I've got ding, ding, thought, 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 thought. There's tons of them. Maybe that's just me. How can I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? While I'm taking this thought captive and saying, you're going to be obedient to Christ, I had seven more. Taking captive every thought, how? Set a trap. Use some bait if you have to. Don't chase thoughts. Have them chase you. By taking control of your mind. You may have heard of SSP. That's Selective Sensory Perception. That's the part of your brain that filters out unimportant information and filters in important information. It's um, pretty much how we stay alive. That's what keeps you alive. Okay, so it's what like enables you to walk through a busy city with a lot of people and traffic and cars and honking and lights and stuff and to walk down the road without panicking. But then if a car flies off the sidewalk, it's what says, there's something important, move. You're SSP. And so I was doing some reading about that, and it's how we focus. It's how, like, an athlete can play a game and focus on one thing and not let all the crowds and the fans and this stuff distract them from their purpose, from what they're supposed to be doing. It's it, your mind, it learns to filter out the unimportant things, the things that you don't have to worry about, and to let you know, hey, here's something that's important. You ever been hit by something that you didn't see coming? Like a ball? Probably a lot of us have been hit by a ball. Jesse got hit by a ball last baseball season at the sky. And busted her eye open. I'm talking about just split it wide open. And you notice how whenever a ball gets hit, everybody yells, heads up. And I mean, I guess the idea is that you're that coordinated and that fast that you're going to be able to look up and scan the entire sky and find a small object flying at you fast enough to react to that object by either catching it or dodging it. Not very likely. So pretty much you. I'm not talking about your situation. I'm just talking about in general. <laughs> your SSP is extraordinary. <laughs> you may have caught it if it didn't bounce off of the concrete block wall. <laughs> but we, we like to get idea. It's up. And then so you look up, make sure you get hit in the face instead of the back of the head. That's probably a good idea. Probably should start yelling like duck. But the funny thing is, the ball that hit Jesse, now I've been hit by a ball before too. 
And the ball that hit Jesse came from the same place that the ball that hit me came from and probably the same place the one that hit you came from. Everybody around was saying it. That thing come out of nowhere. <laughs> probably came out of nowhere. God, you see that? That car come out of nowhere and hit him right off the sidewalk. That ball came out of nowhere, hunted him down. Your SSP never saw it coming. And it caused you a lot of pain. You can't react to something that you don't see coming. In, in boxing, they say the punch that hurts the most is the one you don't see coming. Now, here's the interesting part. I mean, if you saw it coming, you would have moved, right? We all would. But here's the interesting part. You can train your SSP. You can train it to see certain things coming that you couldn't see before. You can practice. That's what they're talking about when they say, working on your hand-eye coordination. You're training your SSP. To react. It is important to me that when a ball is flying at me that I learn how to catch it. Training your SSP. So you're training your brain that when a ball flies at me, I want to catch it. That's training your hand-eye coordination. Not, that's why certain like receiver like Julio Jones is so good and people say, how could you contort your whole entire body and like he couldn't even get his head around to see where the ball was and somehow caught it. It's because he's trained his SSP so much that no matter what, if it's at all possible, I'm catching that ball. It's a pattern in your brain. So you can train it to see stuff coming, to see certain things. But the scary thing is you can train it what's not important. Here's the problem. We all train our brains. We train our SSP. Especially as we start getting older and we live life, the longer we live, the more we train it. What is important, what isn't important. What I need to worry about, what I don't need to worry about. This is my patterns. If you're really cynical, then you've trained your brain to filter out every possibility for hope. If you're negative all the time, you've trained your brain to filter out the positive. It's not that there's not any positive. Your SSP just filters it out. Because that's what you've trained it to do. If you don't believe you're lovable, then your brain, you've trained your brain to remove any information that says you're loved. To discredit any love that you receive. You've trained it. You've created the pattern. Some people live life saying, no one can be trusted. No one really loves me. I don't belong. Everyone will leave. Everybody will betray you. There's no good in the world. There's no beauty. There's no wonder. There's no miracles. Maybe even get to a point where you'll say there's no God. 
And you'll think it's because you have come to this conclusion by studying the facts. But it's actually because you have filtered out all the data that disproves your position. Philippians 4, 6 that we read last week. Um, where we talked about retraining your brain. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns before you know it. A sense of God's wholeness and everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things noble and reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me and what you heard and saw and did realize and realize. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. This is how you retrain your brain. Read it. It's not a bad idea to go read that every day. But you feed your mind. You put those good things into your mind. And then he said you meditate on it, or what's that? That's feeding it. And I talked about it at the beginning, feeding the faith. You feed those good things by meditating on those. You, you feed it, and then what? He said, put it into practice. What's that? You do it. That's where faith is used. You feed it to get it strong by thinking about it, but then you have to actually step out and do it. You have to actually step into the promised land. You have to actually take it. You have to actually build the tiny house, not just talk about it. You, you have to actually step into it. That's faith. Fear and doubt and negativity will paralyze you. I mean, literally, if you let it get so bad and to the point of depression and anxiety, and like it can go to a point to where it literally paralyzes you, but it will paralyze you even day to day. And it will keep you from doing what God has called you to do fear, doubt negativity all if you keep feeding that guess what no one gets paralyzed by good I could tell for so many good positive thoughts in my mind I don't even know what to do I'm over here in the, in the corner I can't even get up, I can't even get out of the bed today because I got too much good up here I never heard that one never heard of it Right? Man, I've just been recalling all the blessings that God's done for me and all the good things and all the positive things in my life, and I'm not, I'm paralyzed. I don't know that I can move forward. Nope. Thinking the best. I, I got a real problem. Man, I think the best about everybody and everything. It's really hurt me. Never heard that. Takes no courage to be a pessimist. 
takes no faith. It's easy. The negative thoughts dominate your soul. You let them. And that's when you become paralyzed. You've trained your brain to see what's wrong with everyone and everything. And now your brain's in charge. You don't even have to think about it. You just automatically see what's wrong with everybody and what's wrong with everything. You just pick out the problems. You walk in a room, you pick out the problems. Because you've trained your brain to do that. Now you don't even have to think about it. Your SSP kicks in. And so you pick out every single problem and everything that's wrong. Because that's what you've trained it to do. So if a thought doesn't reflect God's heart, kill it. If a thought comes into your brain that contradicts who God says you are or who God says someone else is, kill it. Radically oppose it. I'm going to tell you a big secret and we'll close. If you change the way you think about other people, it'll change you. It's real easy for us to look at each other and judge each other for where we're at or why he's why he shouldn't be doing it, she shouldn't be doing it. If I, well, if I had what he had, if I had, well. And to not see each other how God sees them. And then that gives us a distorted view of ourselves. I heard um, this pastor talking last week that when he used to be a youth pastor, that uh, they had this big, good youth ministry going, and there was this kid that started coming, this teenage boy, 15, 16 years old, and he started coming to their youth group, and he said, I couldn't stand this kid. He said, I know that's bad to hear from the youth pastor, but he was a punk. He'd come in there disrupting, didn't respect authority. We'd be up there, I'd be up there trying to preach and give the lesson, and he'd be back on the back row messing with the girls, trying to talk to girls, and laughing, like making fun of me while I was trying to preach, and just the most disrespectful kid ever. And I tried to just show him love, and, and we tried to minister to him, and it just was horrible. So after several weeks, I'm like, man, he's not going to quit coming. So I told one of my workers to grab him and bring him into my office, and I'm going to straighten this kid out. He needs to, we need to lay down the law and figure out what, I'm going to find out what his problem is. He's just a disrespectful little punk, like, and that was his attitude towards the kid. And so he went in his office and had one of the youth workers bring this boy in there, and he brought him in, and he was already guns blazing, and he said, uh, hey, dude, what's your problem? The kid looked at him and said, you don't want to know my problem. He said, yeah, I do. What's your problem? You've been coming in here causing us problems for the last three weeks. And so he said that that kid pulled off his shirt and that he had scars and wounds all over his back and his shoulders and his body. He said, my dad does this to me every day. That's my problem. You want to know why I don't respect authority? That's why. that pastor said that he, he broke down and that 
in a second, his attitude towards that kid changed. I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? You're not going back into that situation. We're going to step in. We're going to intervene. Like, I love you. I'm sorry. That's not how the world is. That's that you don't deserve that. That should. And he went into like ministering to the kid. That's called empathy. When you can put yourself in somebody else's situation and you see their pain. You see the things that they've been through. You see the things that they're having to go through. And now your heart towards them changes and your heart towards them becomes like God's heart towards them. It's easy for me to look at somebody else in this church and say, Man, I don't like him because he's this or he's that or he, what he's been through or what she's been through or the trauma or the abuse or the pain or the mental illness that runs so strong in their family that they've had to overcome. Whatever it is, we can put ourselves in somebody else's shoes because ultimately, that's what God did for us. God hated sin. He hated it. He had to turn his back on. He couldn't even look at it. He, he judged over sin. He punished people for sin. But then he decided to make it right and be in relationship with us. And so he put himself in a human body so that he would know how it feels to be tempted. Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted with every sin known to man. He felt what we feel. He felt pain and rejection. He felt temptation. He felt the temptation for everything that we've ever felt. He knows. He knows how it feels, and his heart changed towards humanity. He's not angry. It was poured out on Jesus at the cross. He stepped into our place. So as representatives... Of Jesus. We need to put ourselves in each other's places. And love. And be transformed. Don't fall into the patterns. Like everybody else. Retrain our SSPs. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us courage because we're going to need it. Help us to be the light. Help us to be the Joshua and the Caleb. Not the ones that are led by fear. Reveal yourself to us. Give us strength. Help us to walk in our purpose. Bind us together. Thank you for connections. Thank you for the strength of your body. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.